Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be good for us today. God's word is always good for us, isn't it? Amen. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. Are you there? Amen. You know, Psalms kind of like right in the middle of the Bible. So you can go there and then turn left a little bit. And then you can find it. It's just before Proverbs. And everybody there? Good. I just wanted to be helpful. Psalm chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Amen. In all the earth, you have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that you will allow me to communicate effectively today. The words that I speak, may they represent your heart properly to your people. And I pray that as they hear, somehow they'll hear past my words and connect with you in the realm of the Spirit and leave this place more powerful and more encouraged and more victorious than they've ever been in their lives because of the word that will take root in their hearts today. I give you praise in advance for what you will do, for I've asked it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm going to preach a little differently today. My style will be a little different than what I'm accustomed to and what you're accustomed to, so I want you to bear with me today, but I really want to to dig deep into this passage of Scripture today Because I really believe there are some things in there that we need to understand and understand properly so that we can live a life of victory. Let me just ask you, have you ever woke up in the morning and just thought, I hope that today will be that day when everything all comes together? Did you ever wish that you could come to a place where everything was finally all put together and you could just kind of stand back and say, ah. Finally, I have arrived. I feel that way at times. There are times that I think, God, if you could just let me get to that place where everything is good and everything is as it should be. But you know what I've discovered about life is that it never is that way. Because as long as we are traveling and journeying on this earth, There are always going to be challenges and there are always going to be things that we have to overcome. And sometimes I get a little bit off 
course. Let me give you an example. Yesterday, my wife and I were out driving around, and we were trying to go to some places here in the neighborhood and out in this way that we'd never been before. And I turned around. She said, why are you turning around? I said, there's a street back there that I don't think I've ever traveled on, and I'd like to see where it goes. And so I turned around, and I went back, and I turned and we went around and we went around and we went around and we came back and you know where we came back to we came back to the very place that we were when I decided to turn around I all I did was just take a turn and kind of circle back and it was it was kind of funny to me uh, because we'd seen this little house over on the right that she she said oh it's a cute little house and and so when I realized we were getting ready to circle around it again I said you're getting ready to see that cute little house one more time because we circled back I've found in my life through the years that I have to circle back to what I know sometimes I can get so far away from where I started and I began this journey with Christ I get so far out in right field or left field that sometimes I just have to pull myself back in and circle back around to the truth that I know. In this Psalm, chapter 8, that's kind of what we see in the life of the psalmist. He kind of starts with this declaration of who God is. And in the middle, we see life as it is. And then in verse 9, the very last verse, you just see him circle back around and say the exact same thing that he started with. And that is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, what I'd like to suggest to some of you today is that you need to just circle back to the basics of your faith. You just need to get back to where you once were. Do you remember what it was like when you first got saved and first started walking with the Lord and how exciting that it was? And then life started happening right there in the middle. What I want to encourage you to do today is to just circle back to that place of passion and circle back to that place where you can sense that God has placed a fresh touch of his anointing upon your life. Now, I want you to walk through with me verse, uh, verse by verse in chapter 8, and I'm going to bring out some things that I think will be important for us to see and understand. So go to verse 1 with me, if you will, and let's read it again. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now notice what he says. He starts out by acknowledging God as Yahweh. You say, now how do you know that? Well, anytime you see scripture in the Old Testament where the word Lord is all caps like it is here, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is a reference in the Hebrew language to Yahweh. Now, what Yahweh means is adequately and very easily described uh, by John Piper when he writes an article that says, he calls it 10 things about God. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me give you the 10 things that he says about God. He says, number one, God never had a beginning. He has always existed. Number two, God will never have an ending. He always has been, 
and he always will be. Number three, he tells us that God is absolute reality. In other words, God encompasses everything on earth that actually is the way that it is. He is reality. There was no reality before him. There's no reality outside of him unless he were to will it and make it to be so. So he is reality. With that, there's no space outside of him. There's no universe outside of him. There's no emptiness outside of him. There is only God. He is reality. Fourthly, God is utterly independent. <clears throat> he depends on nothing and he depends on no one to bring him into being or to support him or to counsel him or to make him what he is. Do you remember when he had a conversation with Job and he basically said to Job, who are you to counsel me? I am God. I don't need your opinion about this. I don't need your suggestions about how I might do this better. Who are you to counsel me? He is utterly independent. The next thing he says about Yahweh is that everything that is not God depends totally upon God. So everything in creation is dependent upon God. Now there are people in this world that they don't like that. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to know that. They don't want to know that their, that, that their existence is because of God and that their hope is in Him and that they have to put their trust in Him. But the reality is that everything that is, everything that ever has been, is because God created it. So everything that is not God is totally dependent upon God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not God. Therefore, you are totally dependent upon him for everything that you need. The next thing he says is that all the universe is by comparison to God as nothing. I don't care where you've been and what you've seen. Danny and Connie went to the Grand Tetons last year, didn't you? It was amazingly beautiful, wasn't it? Doesn't compare to God. Those people down in Florida that are watching all those waves come up on the beach... I know that they're having a great time and enjoying themselves. They're resting and relaxing in some of the most beautiful countryside that you'd ever want to put your, your eyes on. But you know what? As lovely as those beaches are and as amazing as those waves are, they are nothing in comparison to God. God is above all else. Next, he says God is constant. God's not changing. He's not, he's not trying to be a better God than he's ever been before. He's not improving. He's constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is Yahweh that we're talking about. A God that never changes. A God that is constant. A God that can be depended upon because you don't know if he's going to be different tomorrow than he is today. No, he's not going to be different tomorrow because he is constant he is the same. And then he says that God is, is the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. God never has to use a dictionary. He never has to use a thesaurus. 
He never has to wait until the horses run before he plants his seed. He never has to look at, at, at any kind of, uh, of study or anything. To, why? Because he is all truth and he is all knowledge and he knows all things. And therefore, he doesn't have to consult with anyone else. He is the standard of what is truth and right and good and beautiful. And then we understand that God does, does whatever he wants to do. And it is always right. And it is always beautiful. And it is always in accord with his word. Did you know that God can do whatever he wants to do? I remember when I got out of the house and, I, you know, I'm a teenager and I'm thinking, oh, I'm out from underneath my mom's thumbnail now. I can do whatever I want to do. I tried that for a while, but you know what? It didn't work very well because I understood and realized very quickly that there are consequences to what we do. But God can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, and it will always be right, and it will always be good, and it will always be beautiful, always. And then finally, we learn that God is most important and most valuable reality and person in the universe. I know sometimes we get a good opinion of who we are, but as good as we think we are, we're not nearly as good as God is. It doesn't matter how great a plan that we have and that we put together. It's not nearly as good as God's plan. So when Piper brings these 10 ideas, he is telling us what Yahweh means and who Yahweh is. So from the very beginning, the writer here, David, says, I'm just going to begin by establishing this fact. Lord, you are Yahweh. You are all of these things to me. But he doesn't stop there. Because if all we know God as is Yahweh, then it seems as though that he's not a very personable God. He's not a touchable God. But David says, oh Lord, our Lord. Now look in your Bibles and you'll see that this Lord is different. It's not in all caps. It starts with the capital L, but then it is little o, little r, little d which means that he is talking about the revelation of God as Adonai, which means that he is our Lord. It means he is our Savior. He is our conqueror. He is the one who comes beside us and stands beside us and holds our hand and wraps his arms of love around us. He is the God that we know in the New Testament as the great high priest uh, who can be touched with the feelings uh, of our infirmities because he was in always tempted like we are yet without sin. So David, first of all, he talks about Yahweh, this untouchable God, this unbelievable God, this amazing God. But then he turns right around and he says, that God is touchable because he is not only Yahweh, he is Adonai. He is our Lord. And then he says, oh Lord, he said, your name is majestic in all the earth. Now, normally we like to talk about that word majestic. It's a good name. It's hard, to use, it's, it's hard to use that word majestic on a regular basic basis because it's such a big word. It's such a good word. It, it's such a, a powerful word. But that's not what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about those two words, your name. Because in the Hebrew, what it talks about and what it is saying is that he's talking about the totality of God's character and existence. And so when he says 
that your name is majestic in all the earth. He's saying the earth is full of the glory of the Lord. The earth is full of your majesty. The earth is full of your existence. The earth is full of your name. The earth is full of who you are. And that's what he's saying. And then he says, he says, you have set your glory above the heavens. Now, we don't understand this passage of Scripture the way that we should. Because the way we look at it is we think that there is some type of boundary on God's blessings. Some, some boundary on God's glory. And that it's somewhere up in the heavens and it can't be accessed by his people. But that's not true because the scripture says the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. It is full of his goodness. The earth is full. So instead of thinking about the glory of God in heaven being sent down in little pieces and little shots, what we have to think of is that he has deposited his glory in the earth and upon the earth and in his people. And it is so big and so great and so majestic that it cannot be contained by this earth and by the people of God. And therefore it rises completely out of the stratosphere and out of the atmosphere and it returns back to where he is in glory. I'm telling you today, the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. Amen. Here's, here's the best way that I know how to describe this to you. We all are familiar with the sunset. And we think that when the sunrise comes and then when the sun sets, that, that there has been a limitation placed upon the sun by the boundaries of the earth. Like the earth has the authority to say to the sun, don't shine anymore. Oh no, that's not the way it is. The earth is orbiting around the sun. The sun is constant. The sun says to the earth, I'm going to stay right here. And when you come back around, I'm going to still be right here in this place. When we get up, let's just say that we could go to New York City. And we could go over there and we could just stand on the, on the edge of the East Coast and we could stand there and wait. It's 5.30, 5.45, 6 o'clock in the morning Eastern time. And we look out and we see the sun as it begins to turn the, the sky an orange and it begins to glow and we're beginning able to see it and we anticipate the sun's coming up, the sun's coming up and all of a sudden the sun rises and we think that the sun is moving but the sun is not moving, we are moving. Our perspective is changing. Our positioning is changing. And so as we look and the sun begins to rise, we notice it goes up. And then at noon, it's way up here. And then at 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's coming down. And all of a sudden, it dawns on us the sun is setting. It's going down. And so we look until the sun gets to the very horizons of the earth. And we see it as the, earth, as the sky begins to glow again. But now, it's because the sun is going down. And suddenly, it dawns on us. I need to leave New York and go to Louisville, Kentucky. And just like this, just like Samantha on Bewitched, we go. Uh, and we move from New York City all the way to Louisville. And now we notice that the sun came back up a little bit. Well, the sun didn't change. The sun didn't move. We moved. Our perspective changed. 
Our positioning changed. And then as it begins to hit the horizon, we decide, oh, I'm going to Kansas City. And so off to Kansas City we go. And we get to Kansas City and the sun comes back up. And then it begins to move back down. And then we decide, I'm going to Denver, Colorado. And we go over to Denver, Colorado. And we stand there and we watch the sun as it begins to go down. And we begin to see it affect the horizon. And then we go to Las Vegas, not to gamble, but to keep our eyes on the sun. And so we go over there and we look as it begins to come down and as it touches the horizon we decide I need to go to the west coast and we go over to San Francisco California and we stand there and we watch the sun as it is going down keep in mind the sun is not moving our perspective is changing and then all of a sudden I think I've always wanted to go to Honolulu Hawaii it makes me want to say hallelujah to Honolulu and so I jump in the water and I swim as fast as I can swim. I'm telling you, Mark Spitz has nothing on me. And here I go. I'm swimming. I climb up on the beach in Honolulu. I shake off like my dog all of the water. And I go over to the coast and I stand and I watch the sun as it begins to go down. Until finally it is gone. And it would be easy for me to think the sun is gone. The boundary of the earth has stopped the sun from being able to do what the sun naturally does. But I'd be wrong. And all of a sudden it would dawn on me, I first saw this sun in New York City. And I'm standing in Honolulu, Hawaii right now. I need to go back to New York. And I jump back in the water and I start swimming like crazy. I cross the ocean. I catch a plane in San Francisco. I go back to Las Vegas. I stop again in Denver. I go back to Kansas City, Missouri. And then I pass through Louisville, Kentucky on my way to New York. And I stand there and I wait. And then all of a sudden about 5.30, 5.45, 6 a.m., just as I thought, the sun begins to make the horizon orange again. And the sun that never moved in the first place is seen again because I've changed my perspective and I've changed my positioning. That's what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, Lord God, you have set your glory in the heavenlies. There's nothing that can stop you from being who you are and doing what you need to do. The only thing that I must be willing to do is to move out of my comfort zone and position myself so that I can see the glory of the Lord. Amen. And then he goes to verse 2 and he says... He says that in the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy, the avenger. What's he saying here? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that God obliterates the strongest enemy with his weakest weapon. Can I say that again? Somebody needs to shout. God obliterates the strongest enemy with his weakest weapon. Babies can't do diddly squat without somebody helping them. Is that true, Amber? If anybody would know, you'd know that, right? Hey, you've got a lot of experience. No, they can't do anything. Once they get born, they just lay there. They can't even roll over. Most of the time, they just got to sit there. 
They can do this every now and then. They can make a few noises. They can cry every now and then. They can't do anything. They can't, they can't change their diaper. They can't go and make themselves a bologna sandwich with a tomato slice on top. They can't do squat. And what the psalmist has said, the very thing on earth that as, is as helpless as anything is a baby, and yet God uses the baby to obliterate the enemies that come against him. When the enemy comes on like a flood, when the enemy comes and threatens you, all you got to do is say, I may be like a little baby in the faith, but that's okay. God will use baby little me to take down the strongest enemy that comes against God and it comes against me. He said, God obliterates the strongest enemy with his weakest weapon. Then he goes to verses 3 and 5. 3 through 5. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've set in place, which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. What's he saying here? Notice, first of all, that he references the work of God's fingers. How many of you know how to write with an ink pen? Can I see your hands? Good, three of you. Praise the Lord. Did you know that it's very difficult to write with your hand? If you take an ink pen and stick it up in there, and you decide you're going to write, it's very difficult to write that way. You can do it to some degree, but it's difficult. So if you want to sign your name, or if you want to color, how many of you like to color? Man, we color in our house all the time. We got grandbabies. We got one that colors with the hand, and then we get another that is a little more advanced, and she can take, and really both of them can now, take the crayon in their fingers, and they can do a much better job. They can be more precise. They can give a much beautiful rendering of the picture because they are using their fingers. What the psalmist is doing here is he's saying, God, I have watched you through the years and I've seen the work of your hand and it's good, but the work of God's hand usually always refers to strength and battle. If God is using his hand, it's because he is in battle against the enemy. If he's using his right hand, the scripture talks about his authority. He's not even really using his right hand. He's actually using the authority of his word in his mouth. He doesn't fight people with his hands. He just simply speaks and, and the world creation responds to the word of God. But when he talks about the finger of God, he's talking about the precision of God. He's talking about God stepping up and doing something very fine and very 
intricate and he's talking about the detailed work of God. Aren't you glad that God has crafted us as his people with the fingers of his hand that you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made? Don't you let the devil tell you that you're not a master piece of art made by the fingers of God. You are a child of God most high and you've been created by him the work of your fingers. And then he says the moon and the stars. Most scholars believe that when he says this that he is referencing a time in his life when he is writing out of extreme darkness. Now that could be one of two things. Number one, it could be simply that he is sitting on his deck looking at the sky and understands that it's nighttime. And so he sees the moon and he sees the stars. There are others who believe that it's more spiritual in nature and that a time in his life when it's very dark and it's very difficult and he can't see the light of day, that he writes this in order to help his spirit revive so that he can circle back to the truth of who God is. So I don't think we'll ever know which one it really is, but here's one thing that I believe is true, and I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week about this. Some things are only visible in the dark of night. Let me say that again. Some things are only visible in the dark of night. You know, it's been a beautiful day the last few days, hasn't it? Sunshine, blue skies. I mean, every now and then we get a little wispy white, uh, you know, cloud up in the air and everything's okay. And, but you really can't see anything other than blue skies. All you can see is just a bunch of blue up there. I mean, there's nothing there to see. Why? Because... It is being overpowered by the, the luminance of the sun. The sun is brighter. And because the sun is brighter, you can't see anything else. But when the sun goes down and the moon comes up, there are some things up there that were up there all along. You just couldn't see them. Yeah, you know, last night I was sitting out, me and Boomer were sitting out on the, on the deck. And we were out there, Doomer, Boomer's just, he's kind of sitting beside me. And all of a sudden I noticed that something caught his eyes. And he jumped up and he went over to the, to the edge of the deck and he stuck his head out and he's kind of looking. And, then I, and, and his tail is real still. It's just kind of straight up. You know the way dogs do. And then all of a sudden I could see the tip end of that tail start going like that. And then all of a sudden, it started going like that. And all of a sudden, he started getting excited. And I thought, well, there must be a squirrel out there. There must be a, there must be a rabbit out there. There must be something out there that he sees. You know what was out there? Lightning bugs. <laughs> oh, they were out there in swarms. I mean, there were lightning bugs everywhere. It, they, they were just everywhere. And he was watching them. He'd see one over here, and then he'd see one over here. Then he'd see one over here. He'd see one over here. He'd see one over there. And his tail, he'd just going like this. He started, man, he's wanting to eat him a lightning bug because he was excited because there was something that he could see in the darkness that he could not see in the daylight. 
At night, you can see the space station up there. Did you know that? At night, you can see the stars. At night, you can see the shooting stars. At night, you can see the Milky Way. At night, you can see a lot of things that you cannot see in the daytime. I have a word from somebody for you today. The Lord spoke to me so clearly this morning. Some of you are just standing around waiting for the sun to shine again. And what the Lord would say to you today is, is get your hopes off of the rising of the sun and start seeing what is before your very eye right now in the darkness of your light, of your night. And if you can see in the dark all of the things that God has in store for you, then when the brightness comes, it'll just be a blessing to you. Don't wait for better days. Don't wait for other things. Start right now. Sit down on your deck tonight. Look up in the sky and realize that the Lord put that moon up there. The Lord put those stars up there. The Lord put that Milky Way up there. The Lord put those lightning bugs out in your yard. And as you see them, let hope rise in your soul so that you can say, I can see things in the darkness that I was never able to see in the light. Amen. There's no difference for the child of God. whether it is light outside or dark outside it doesn't matter because God is still on the throne nothing has changed he's still there the only thing that has changed is our perspective and then he says what is man and then he starts to think there Lord here's what man is man is so special special that God takes notice of me He is mindful of me. God is watching over me. As my mom used to sing, there's an all-seeing eye watching you. Amen. He is mindful of me. He provides for me. The scripture puts it like this. He visits his people. Man, just when I think I've got no resources at all, when I think I've got no hope, when I think I've got no strength, when I've got no power, when I've got no ability to overcome, all of a sudden I hear hear a rap on the spiritual door of my heart, and I go and open it up, and there it is. Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my Adonai, my Yahweh, He has come to visit. He stands at the door and knocks, uh, and He will come in for whoever will open the door and then he said he has made us a little lower than the heavenly beings some translation says he is a little lower than the angels he he made us to be a little lower than the angels but the Hebrew Bible uses the word Elohim Elohim is not talking about angels Elohim is talking about God And so the psalmist says, I've just come to a conclusion that I never realized before. I'm just a little bit lower than God. I'm not God, but I've been made in his image. And I am just a little bit lower than him. One commentator put it like this. He said, we lack very little of God. 
What does that mean? It means means we have everything that we have need of because of him. We lack very little. You say, oh, you don't know about my life. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know how much I need. Listen, I can think of only one thing that you need, and that is the spirit of the living God living inside of you. You lack very little of God. He is in you. His spirit is in you. You have everything that you have need of to be an overcome to be a powerful man or woman of God. You can do this thing with the help of God when the devil comes at you and says, who do you think you are? You just look at him if you can in the spirit realm and say, I'm glad you asked, buster boy. I'll tell you exactly who I am. The psalmist said that I am made in the image of God and that I am made just a little bit lower than Elohim. So if you're up for a fight and if you're in the mood to come after me, step out in the parking lot with me, big boy. I'm ready to fight and I won't have to lift a hand because the Bible says that he takes the praises that come out of the mouth of babes uh, to obliterate the enemy with his weakest weapon. So bring it on, big boy. Bring it on. And then in verse six, it says he's crowned us with glory and honor. Somebody bring my crown up here. Let's bring it on up here. I'm going to put it on. You say, oh, well, you just think so much of yourself, little Mr. High and Mighty. No, it's not so you can think I'm high and mighty. When I put the crown that God has crowned me with, it gives me the authority that I need to make the decisions that I need to make, to speak the words that I need to speak, to overcome the enemy when he comes against me. Because I have to. all I have to do is when the enemy comes, all I have to say, see this crown up here? I, it wasn't put there. I didn't get that at the dollar store, big boy. I was crowned by the almighty God of heaven and earth. Verses six through eight. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. So he crowns us. And what does he crown us with? He crowns us with dominion. You better come help me start quitting, Donna, because I'm I got preaching all over me today. Dominion. What does that mean? That means that I have the ability to affect the outcome of what God has placed in my circle of influence. When he put Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he do? He gave them dominion. The psalmist says he has given us dominion. What about all those beasts of the field and the sheep and the oxen and the birds? You know why they're there? They're there to be our provision in times of need. We have dominion over them. Now I know you're not going to like what I'm going to say. But listen, if I've got a cow out in the field named Fluffy, and I'm starving to death and I need food Fluffy's dying I don't care how much I like Fluffy 
I don't care if Fluffy was a family pet. I don't care if my great uncle gave me Fluffy in his will when he died. If I'm hungry, I'm going to eat some filet mignon. Fluffy mignon. I'm going to chop him or her up, whichever Fluffy is, and I'm going to have me some hamburger to grill on the grill tonight. You know, we get so accustomed to loving stuff that we sometimes forget that very stuff in front of us is the very thing that God wants to use to bring provision into our lives. He said, I've given you dominion over it. Now you can sit there and pet Fluffy and starve to death. Or you can say, Fluffy, I love you. You've had a good life, baby. But you're going to provide for me and my family, which is what you were intended and created for. You weren't created to be my family pet. You were created to be provision for my household. Some of you say, well, Lord, if you just give me provision, if you just give me provision, if you'd give me provision, if you'd give me provision, it may be that the provision of God is right before your very eyes. And if you'll just stop looking at it as something that you love and start seeing it as the provision that God has given you, then you won't starve to death physically or spiritually. Because God has already given you the provision. He doesn't have to go look in the pantry. I, I get tickled at our kids every now and then. They won't, they won't, I don't think they'll mind me telling this, but hey, I was young once too. And there were times I didn't have any food in the pantry. There were times I didn't have a dollar bill to my name. There were times I didn't have anything. There were times that I was sitting in there and I just think, oh God, if I could just have a hot dog. Oh Lord, if I could just have a, an Oreo cookie. Just one, Lord, just one. There are times that the kids will come over and they say, well, check ran out this week. What you got in the pantry? Grandkids, they're not bashful at all. They just go over and open up the pantry and start saying, what do I want? And old Donna, she's over there. She says, the Walmart bags are in the corner over there now. They get those bags out and they start filling those things up. Listen, I know you think, well, he's a sad old sack. Won't even, I love it. I love that they can come to our house and steal our bread and take our, take our Oreo cookies. I don't mind that one bit. I'm glad that God has blessed us that way. But listen, I'm not their provision. And there comes a time in life when the provision of God has to take over for you. When you have to say, this one is big enough that mom and dad can't help uh, and aunts and uncles can't help uh, and the government can't help. The only help that is going to help at all is the help of God Almighty. He's given you dominion and he's put all things under our feet. I'm standing on my provision. Can you get that in your head today? I'm standing on my provision. You say, well, the devil's so heavy on me and he's sitting up there on my shoulder and he's climbed up on top of me and he's weighted me down and burdened me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what to do. Take your big middle finger right there and flick 
him off. If you're going to quote me, make sure you quote it right. Flick him off of your shoulder and say, you're not in your rightful place. You're not supposed to sit on me. You're not the one to burden me down. You have no authority over me. You get off of me right now. In the name of Jesus, you get down where you belong and I'm going to stand on you and put my feet on top of you. In Jesus' name. Yeah, that sounds so good, Pastor. I think I could just shout like crazy. But I know that when I get home, the devil just gonna climb right back up there. I gotta face the same old problems that I had before. Let me tell you something. I understand as long as we're in this fallen world, the devil is going to fight back. He's not gonna give up. He's not gonna quit. He's going to take every opportunity that he can to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. But if you stay right there in your mindset, you're going to be defeated for the rest of your life. You've got to go on with the rest of that scripture and say, I know that you're wanting to kill me and steal from me and to destroy me, but let me remind you that Yahweh Adonai is my Lord and my Savior, and he came so that I might have life and that I might have it more abundantly. So get your big boy self out of here. I am more than a conqueror through him. You see, we started, and then we walked through life. And then the psalmist said in verse 9, he said, in case you think that I'm defeated, in case you think that I'm, that I'm destroyed, in case you think that I'm depressed, in case you think that I'm giving too much glory to the devil, in case you think that I'm just barely getting by, let me circle back and remind you one more time. Oh, Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, Adonai, how majestic, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. If I'm going to end, I'm not going to end in defeat. If I'm going to end, I'm not going to end on the ground. I'm not going to end out of energy. If I'm going to end, I'm going to end going down saying, Lord, in the midst of of it all, your name is great. In the midst of it all, your name is majestic. In the midst of it all, your name is excellent. In the midst of it all, the world will know that you are God. Hallelujah. Stand with me if you will this morning. Hallelujah. I say to you this day, my child, open your eyes in your darkest moment and look to me 
And I will reveal things to you in your darkness that you cannot see in the light of day. I have so much more for you than what you are currently experiencing. I don't have to make it. I don't have to create it. It's already done. I have made it with you in mind. All you need to do is receive it. And I will freely pour it out upon you this day and begin a new season of living for you like you've never experienced before. Will you trust me, my child? For if you will trust me, the victory will be yours through my name and in my power, saith the Lord of hosts. Will you lift your hands and give praise to the Holy Spirit? Hallelujah, hallelujah. 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 Uh, ushers, come and position yourself for communion this morning, if you will. Choir is going to sing. We're going to worship. I'd like for you to all gather around this altar this morning and let's receive at the Lord's table this morning. Come if you will. Oh 